Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com hey i'm ryan reynolds at Mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast where we are looking at Mummy Rebirth from 2019. In terms of the layout, we shall start with a look at the background information, then a section on the historical accuracy, and finally I shall review the film and then rate it out of 10. But before then, it is time for my dramatic intro. Right, it is 240 BC, and according to this film, the first pharaohs are just beginning to emerge, only out by a few thousand years, I guess. As you wander through the sand, wearing what can only be described as a very cheap Halloween costume, you eventually arrive at a tomb. You head down a stair set and meet with your love, Rahina. However, this meeting will be brief, as men of a conquering ruler, Nama, are approaching. As they appear at the top of the stairs, it becomes clear that your death is approaching. However, this is not the end of your journey. Thousands of years from now, two treasure hunters will discover your coffin. This will lead to the mummy rebirth. I was not able to hunt down any financial information or any filming locations for this film, but it was undeniably a very cheap film to make, and judging from the general scenery, I would guess that it was filmed in California. It most certainly was not filmed on location in Egypt, no matter how many badly photoshopped pyramids and sphinxes they've put in the background. The main director for this film was Justin Price, who occasionally in some of his other films is credited as 
Tristan Price. I'm not entirely sure why, but I guess he's got his reasons. He is known for quite a few low-budget films, including uh, Dark Moon Rising from 2015, Snare from 2016, and Dawnseeker from 2019. For this film, so Mummy Rebirth, someone named Ku is credited as the co-director. Interestingly, Ku has worked as an actress, a cinematographer, and producer on many other Justin Price films, and even worked as a co-director with him on the film Snare as well. So this wasn't her first time working as co-director with Justin Price. It is very noticeable that this film ends incredibly abruptly, and without trying to really tie up any of the loose knots. I will admit, I initially put this down to sheer incompetency, um, but apparently this is because a sequel to this film was also shot in 2019 and had most of the same cast in it. This film was titled Pharaohs, though to date it's never been released. In terms of the cast, Brittany Goodwin plays Daniela, the main female lead, who's most certainly not supposed to be Lara Croft, absolutely not. Uh, Carter plays Noah, the main male lead, who's absolutely not supposed to be Nathan Drake from Uncharted. There's no similarities whatsoever. Uh, Shamal Hashish plays Sobek, the main mummy in the film. Dina Grace Congo plays Dr. Dragic, who's kind of like one of the evil henchmen, or henchwomen in this case. And David E. Cazares plays Sager, who's basically sort of the evil billionaire bad guy in the film. Okay, we have now arrived at the historical accuracy section. So here I should just look at the historical accuracy, or lack thereof, of this film. At the beginning, we have a flashback scene to the year 240 BC. Although it is not outright said here, it is certainly implied that this is supposed to be the time of the first pharaohs. I feel they have seriously underestimated how long ancient Egypt went on for, as the first pharaohs came around in about 3100 BC, so they were only off by a mere 2860-odd years, you know, give or take. An easy mistake to make, if you will. No, but seriously, I always get a bit confused when films get basic facts like this wrong, especially in 2019, where I'm fairly certain both Google and Wikipedia existed. Don't get me wrong, Wikipedia may not be the best source to use, but surely if you're making a historical film, you would at least glance at the dates. After all, like, setting it in 3100 BC wouldn't really have changed that much in this film. On the upside, it is revealed that the main mummy, so Sobek, is being pursued by an invading ruler named Nama. In fairness, Nama is indeed considered to be the first full ruler of Egypt, so you can give the film some kind of credit there, I guess. As kind of said a couple of times already, um, the mummy here is also called Sobek. Sobek was an ancient Egyptian god, usually depicted with the head of a crocodile. In fairness, he most certainly was around in 240 BC, though his first mention comes from the Old Kingdom, so some four or five hundred years after the reign of Nama. Sobek had his cult centre in the Fayum, which is a very swampy area of Egypt where, <laughs> surprise surprise, there are quite a few crocodiles. In general, Sobek was symbolic of pharaonic might. Further, 
Sobek mentions Hades a few times in this film, and it is even mentioned in the present day as part of the plot involves a book of Hades. Hades is actually the Greek god of the underworld, though it is fair to say that in 240 BC, Egypt would have been in the Ptolemaic period, which was a period where the Greeks were ruling over Egypt. Also, when we do finally see the Book of Hades, it is very much just a regular book. You know, one with pages that you turn, essentially. Uh, Such books did not come about until the Roman period, a few hundred years later. The film also talks a lot about a lost city called Shikara. I will admit, like, I just always had Shakira in my head every time they said it. Um, Once again, this is completely made up for the film. There is no such city. I strongly suspect, in fact, that this was heavily based on Hamanatra, you know, the made-up city from The Mummy 1999 with Brendan Fraser. When we arrive in the present day, we meet our two main heroes, Daniela and Noah. At one point, Daniela goes up to what is supposed to be an inscription on a rock and claims that it is the finest carbon fibre imprinting she has ever seen. You can always see the writer's thought process here. You know, let's throw some big words together even though they have no relevance to each other whatsoever. Basically, there is no such thing as carbon fibre imprinting, especially not when you're talking about ancient, you know, like artefacts and things like that. Later still, when they find the ancient coffin in the cave in California, sorry, sorry, I meant to say when they found the coffin in the cave in the middle of Egypt, because clearly, you know, this is Egypt, it's not California. There's no similarity whatsoever there. Anyway, uh, when we get to this point, Daniela says that it's unusual to find an unguarded tomb this far away from Anubis or even the feet of Horus. Once again, this sentence is nonsensical. I mean, fair enough, Anubis and Horus are both Egyptian gods, but that's basically where the accuracies end here. I mean, I suppose you can argue that both Anubis and Horus are involved in, you know, the ancient Egyptian underworld, but there certainly isn't any link between a tomb being close to a statue of Horus or Anubis and getting guarded more as a result or anything like that. That's That's pure nonsense. Finally for this section, towards the end of the film, they are in a a museum, and it's noticeable that Daniela makes no hesitation at all of smashing ancient relics over the heads of bad guys. She does this at one or two points in the film. I mean, I suppose in fairness to her, she is being attacked by bad guys, but at the same time, very often there's like a chair to the side or something like that, and I just feel in that situation, my instinct would be to grab the chair and smash the bad guy. Not to, like, you know, break one of the display cases and get out one of the artefacts. So, overall, this film is incredibly bad when it comes to historical accuracy. It claims that the first pharaohs came around in 240 BC. It has Sobek wandering around the desert in a random Roman Halloween costume. Daniela, in particular, says a lot of nonsense stuff about, you know, tombs being buried near the feet of Horus and Anubis and carbon fibre imprinting, that kind of thing, which is all just nonsense. Um, There's a book of Hades, which looks like an actual book as opposed to, you know, a selection of scrolls. So there's a lot wrong here. However, on the upside, they do talk about Nama, who was, although he wasn't around in 240 BC, 
he was considered to be sort of the first full ruler of Egypt. So they kind of get that part, I guess, like a quarter right. Okay, we have now arrived at the review section. So here I shall simply go over the film, saying what I liked and disliked about it, and then rate it out of 10. To begin with, I think it's fair to say that the best this film will gain is a, a so bad that it's good status. I don't think I've made any heads or tails about that to this point. And in fairness, there is some unintentional humour to be had here. For instance, whenever Noah, the main male lead, wants to look like an actual hero, he just does a slightly bad army roll into the scene and then struggles to get his gun out of his holster. He does this a few times throughout the film and I'm not going to lie, it always made me smirk. Further, although this is really more of a negative than a positive, and well, we'll be coming back to this later in the review, the sound quality here is incredibly uneven. Half the time it's really loud, the other half the time it's really quiet, and there's even scenes where you have two people talking, and one of them is loud, and the other one is quiet. I will admit, for the most part, this was just annoying, but it also got to the point where I, I don't know if I was just going insane or something, but... I started to find it hysterical. It's just the fact that I don't know how anyone was, you know, watching this film back and not seeing this as quite a big issue. Especially considering half the time you, you don't know what the plot is because you can't hear what the characters are saying. There was also one shot in the museum that was, it was okay. Basically, we see the bad guy in a mirror rather than actually seeing him in person. And it's kind of there to imply that you know, the main character hasn't spotted him yet. You know, this was a decent shot. Not great by any means, but, but it was a decent shot. <laughs> and with that, you can probably guess that I am really scraping the bottom of the barrel to get out these positives. Going along the so bad that it's good route as well, um, if you can force yourself not to glaze over whilst watching this and, you know, actually listen to the script, you will realise how hysterically bad it is. For instance, at one part, uh, one of the sort of main bad soldier guys tells Daniela that she is just a little bird fluttering around in her cage. If he had elaborated and said what he meant by that, this could have been quite a good statement, I guess, but ultimately there's no context given, so it's just a jumble of words that's been put together. Then there's one of my personal favourite lines in this film, Spoken by a guard who's supposed to be sort of one of the good guys. He says this. It is not a war if both sides do not believe they are on the side of good. I'm sorry, but that's just factually incorrect. I mean, I'm pretty sure that, you know, Sauron didn't think he was on the side of good in Lord of the Rings. There was still a war. <laughs> Finally, in fairness to the film, although the graphics are pretty damn terrible... There are one or two points where they try and be a bit more sort of artsy with it. For instance, at one or two points, they use kind of like a scratched effect on the, the camera to give it kind of like a rougher look. Or in another part, they would make it look like the, the graphics have been drawn by a pencil. You know, sort of like a, a watercolour effect. If I'm honest, I think they should have done this more. I think if you don't have the budget for particularly great animations, you know flower it up a bit, make it more artsy. I mean, this way, at least the film has a certain level of character and identity. However, on the downside, they don't 
take this artsy approach very often with this film and for the most part the the animations are terrible i've seen better ones in 1980s films and i'm not talking about like 1980s blockbusters i'm talking about 1980s b-movies straight to video if you will even when it comes to the practical effects and decorations they are incredibly poor for instance around the egyptian tomb which very much just looked like a cave we have so many plastic skulls and spider webs that look exactly like cotton that's just been stretched out. Surprise, surprise, probably because it's just cotton that is stretched out. Further, even when you look in the backgrounds of half the scenes, they have photoshopped ancient Egyptian monuments in incredibly poorly. Half of the time, even the colouring's off and, you know, they, they look a bit fuzzy. <laughs> This also really isn't helped by how overcast the sky looks in most of the outdoor scenes. I have never seen a sky like that in, in Egypt. Usually, you know, the sky is just pure blue. And I do wonder if this is why the monuments in the background do look a bit off, because they've clearly not, like, dulled them or anything. They're just bright, shining sort of monuments in the background with the rest of the scene being incredibly dull. Also... This film makes very little secret of the fact that it's trying to be confused for The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. You know, it's trying to look like the same sort of universe. And I do feel that probably about 90% of the audience were people who bought this film by mistake, thinking it was one of those two films. Even when it comes to Sobek and his love, Rahina, they very much just look like knockoffs of Imhotep and Anaxunamun. Not even good knockoffs either. They very much look like a couple that have tried to dress as Imhotep and Anux and the Moon for Halloween, but have had to do so on a budget. And as I've already spoken about, even the main characters, Daniela and Noah, are clear knockoffs of, you know, video game characters. Daniela is supposed to be a, a budget Lara Croft from Tomb Raider, and Noah looks somewhere between Nathan Drake from Uncharted and Boyle from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. As I've already mentioned, the sound is also really off here, and the volume levels are all over the place. Although this can be funny at points, it is also very frustrating, and it does just take away some of the enjoyment of the film, largely because it makes it very easy to miss important parts of the plot and just get completely lost. The actual plot here is really badly explained, and even after two watch-throughs, I still only get bits and pieces of it. Basically, our two heroes are working for a billionaire named Sager. During the mission, they accidentally awaken a mummy from the dead, and that mummy wants to awaken his love so that they can rule over the entire Earth, or something like that, I guess. And then the whole thing ends with a giant dinosaur in the desert after some talk of magic stones and some magic books. This also really isn't helped by the way they transition between scenes a lot of the time. For instance, after they have awoken the mummy in the tomb, there is a big gunfight, and then our heroes leave the scene after Sager betrays them. They are then in an equally dark location, and I honestly had to rewind the film to find out how they got there. All that was really needed here was a transition scene, maybe one showing the outside of the museum so that we know instantly where they are. But on the first watch through, I thought they were just still somewhere in the camp or maybe even still in the tomb somewhere. 
the film gave no hint that the the scene had changed. I could honestly go on and on and on and on about all of the terrible things in this film, but honestly, I feel I've said enough now. In terms of the reviews, shockingly, they were not great. It has neither a critical nor an audience consensus on Rotten Tomatoes, but on IMDb it has a 2.3 out of 10. Here, the negative reviews comment on the poor acting, the lack of chemistry between the cast, the poor special effects, the nonsensical plot, generally how boring it was, and several were annoyed that they would never get the time they spent watching this film back. For myself, I agree. Up until this point, the worst film I have watched during this podcast was The Mummy 3. It's the only film I've given a 1 out of 10 to. I can say, without a hesitation of a doubt, that Mummy Rebirth is worse. And don't get me wrong, I would feel really bad about saying such negative things about a film, but I honestly don't think any thought or passion went into this from anyone involved, so it's a little bit hard to feel bad about it. In all honesty, you can probably guess the rating I'm going to give this film. I am giving this film a 1 out of 10. Thank you very much for listening. I certainly hope you have enjoyed this episode. And if you have, please do consider liking the video, uh, subscribing if you haven't already. And join me next week, where I'm going to be covering one of my most widely requested films. The DreamWorks classic, The Prince of Egypt from 1998. I hope you all have an excellent week and see you then. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.